Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. One of the questions that I ask a lot and I hear ask a lot in lots of different ways is what is God really like? Can we trust this guy? Can we can we depend on him? Is he is he really just angry at all of us and he'd love to burn us all up in hell or is he not like that at all or you know we just don't know. And so When you look back to the Word of God, the Bible, I believe that's where we're going to find our best answer. As he answers himself, what is he like? Because we're we're just not going to know unless he tells us, right? Because, you know, we can't can't see him. I, I, I think that when we sit around and talk about what we think God might be like, uh, we we don't end up really with anything better than what the Greeks ended up with their Greek gods. They just they they sat around and made up stories about what God might be like, and what you had was a bunch of characters who had lots of extremely human characteristics. If we're going to know what God's like, He needs to tell us. And the best expression of that, of course, comes when He sends Jesus to tell us exactly what he's like. In Luke chapter 15, he really answers the question quite well, what is God like? And this is is affected the way I think about God. This is affected the way I think about myself. It's affected my behavior and how I treat others. And so I want to share today from Luke chapter 15, famous chapter. It begins, though, asking the question that I ask. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the accusation here is this man must not be a religious guy. This man, Jesus, must not really be from God. This man, Jesus, must not really understand who God is. Because if he did, he would not sit around with sinners and tax collectors. Because God's just not like that. And so Jesus responds. He responds with three stories. He responds with the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. He says, Which, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that was lost until he finds it? And the implication here is that God is the one seeking the lost. And here again, in the second story, he tells the parable of the lost coin. He says, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And so he's saying there's going to be joy in heaven 
for everyone who repents, who everyone who returns. So he's saying, you know, God, far from not having anything to do with sinners, actually wants to welcome sinners, is eager to accept sinners uh, to himself, uh, which is pretty good news for you and me, considering we consider ourselves sinners. We know that we make mistakes. We know that we screw up. We know that we're not always very nice people. And so the idea that God actually loves us and cares for us is pretty exciting. But can we put parameters on that? Can we say, really, what is God like? And the third parable, I think, does the best job at explaining who God is and what is his attitude towards men and women who are sinners here as we wander about this planet. So he tells the story of the prodigal son. Verse 11 in chapter 15, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now we're going to go on and talk about the older son who is also there. But first let's look at this younger son. Here he is saying to his father, Give me my inheritance. Now, an inheritance comes to somebody after their father, grandfather, whoever dies. And so the son to go to his father and say, you know what? I just can't be bothered to wait around until you die. So I wish you would just go ahead and give me that property now. That's just about the rudest thing that you can think of to say, isn't it? Dad, I really wish you were dead. Please give me my property, which is the only thing I really want from you, so that I can go off and do what I want. So here is the human condition. We're sinners. What does that mean, sinners? It means 
that we are in rebellion against God. It, it, it means that we're not everything that he's created us to be. He created us to be something special, something wonderful. He created us to be in fellowship with him. We don't know very much about who God is. Why not? Because we left. We were the ones who ate of the wrong tree in the garden. We were the ones who got kicked out of the garden, and now we don't walk with God. We don't know who God is. And because of that, we don't live the life that God's called us to live. So here's this young man. He's a sinner. He is not wanting to live the life that God's called him to live, the life in his father's house. And he wants out of there. And so off he goes to a far country to squander his property in reckless living. And as we look at that, we're really thinking, okay, so the son, he doesn't feel like he's got a good deal in his father's house. He, that's not what he wants. He wants to find his satisfaction. He wants to find his fulfillment in the things of the world. He wants to leave the father's house and go out into the world and do what he wants to do. And so that's just what he does. And prodigal sons today do exactly the same thing. They go out and they try to find satisfaction in the things of the world. And just like the prodigal son here in the story, very seldom do they find that satisfaction, do they? And you and I, no matter how good and wonderful you are, from time to time we try to find satisfaction in the world. I myself... Look to the world. I, I, I'm a prideful person and I, and I want others to tell me how wonderful I am. And so I'm seeking my satisfaction in the world and not from my father. I, I, I want nice things. And I work for the things that are, are, are going to fade away and, 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 and not last sometimes. And when I do that, I'm really leaving my father's house. When I look to material things to be my satisfaction, when I look to lust, when I look to riches, when I look to the things of the world to satisfy me, instead of looking to my father, I'm being like the prodigal here. And the prodigal, as he invests himself in the things of the world, he discovers quite quickly, actually, that the world is not a very good bet. He's, he's placed his stock here in the world, and what happens? The famine arises in that country, and he begins to be in need. The world always lets us down. No matter how rich you are, you need to be richer in order to be happy. No matter how much you experience, you need to experience more in order to be happy. And we just never quite get there. There's always a hunger. There's always a thirst that we just can't satisfy in the world. The world lets us down every time. And here he is, the prodigal. He's found himself in the world that's let him down. And now, in order to make any kind of living at all, he finds himself in the field feeding pigs. Now, obviously, this is Jewish culture. And in Jewish culture, pigs are not considered bacon that is wonderful. They're considered dirty, horrible, unclean animals. And there couldn't be a greater shame. The son now has lost his sonship. He was a child of his father. 
and he had an important position, and he had money and wealth, he had all the property that the father gave him, but now he's lost all that, and he's not only lost his money, but he's lost his self-respect, he's lost his nationhood, because no Jew would feed pigs, and yet here he is feeding pigs. He's lost his character, he's lost his nature, he's lost his personhood. Everything that he was is now gone, taken away from him by his own foolishness, and he knows it. And as he's there, hungry and exhausted and miserable, verse 17, these amazing words, but when he came to himself, (laughs) he woke up. Wait a minute. I don't have to be doing this. Look, my father, he's got hired servants who who have more than enough bread, and here I am perishing with hunger. I I can go back to my father's house. Oh, but wait a minute. I I can't really go back because, well, you know, there was that little bit where I told him I wished he was dead. Um, So how about this? How about I say, look, I I know I don't have a right to be your son anymore. I've like already spent all your wealth, and that's gone, and I'm not expecting anything more, but at least just treat me like a hired servant. And so he comes up with what he thinks is a pretty good speech, and he heads back to the father. And as he gets to the father, and he falls before the father, and he says, part of his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to behold your son. But the father, he doesn't have any time for this. Oh, no, 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 no. He is ready to receive this kid back. This is his child. And he's bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Do you hear what he's saying? He's lost his sonship, he's lost his personhood, he's lost his humanity. Let's give that back to him. Put the robe back on him, the ring on his hand, the crest of our family. He's back in the family again, the shoes on his feet. He is a person again. He is a family member again. He is a son of mine again. And we're going to celebrate that, man. Get that fatted calf out and kill it. We are ecstatic that this has happened. This is who God is. Because I want you to see this is not, we call this the parable of the prodigal son. It's not the parable about the prodigal son. This is not about the prodigal son. This is about the father. This This story gets told after the Pharisees and the scribes accuse God of being the kind of God who doesn't like sinners. And Jesus is telling us this story. He says, no, no, the Father is like this. And you're asking me now, do sinners still come home? Does that happen? Are there prodigals out there who come back and find this kind of Welcome. Can people really change? Can people really return back home after they've lost so much, after they've left so much? I work with a guy here. He's a driver for our aid agency. When we first hired him back in year 2001, I think it was, and uh, several people said, oh, no, you don't want to hire that guy. He's a bad guy. And so we began to investigate a little bit. Well, do we not want to hire this guy? What, what, what's the deal here? Well, during the Civil War, he was with the militia. 
Now, it's really interesting. As you hear stories about the civil war that happened here in Gondor, you'll hear lots of stories about how violent it was. Upwards of 100,000 people were killed in a five-year span of time as that civil war raged on here, and different tribes within the people of Gondor were wiping each other out. And you'll hear lots and lots of stories, even today, about all the victims You know, the stories of, oh, they knocked on our door at 10 o'clock at night. My father opened the door and they shot him dead. They didn't say anything. Everybody's here has a story like that. But you don't hear very many stories of, I was the guy who did the shooting. (laughs) You don't hear very many of those stories. Well, here's one of these guys. This guy, our driver, I'll call him Balin. This guy, Balin... He was one of those guys, one of those really awful characters who abused people and hurt people. And then he, he, he took this woman as his wife who had, had been beaten up and abused by her first husband. And then he continued to beat her up and abuse her. And then he took a second wife and he became a really bad man, hurting people for his own pleasure and for his own benefit. And then something amazing happened. His wife came to faith in Christ. She began to trust in Jesus, began to pray and worship Jesus. And about six months later, Balin saw the change in her life, the peace, the comfort, the joy in the midst of her misery and suffering. As he had taken on a second wife, as he continued to be an abusive, angry, miserable person, She found joy in Jesus. And so he turned to Jesus as well. And he repented and turned to the cross of Christ to forgive all of his sins. But you know, it doesn't happen very quickly, does it? People don't change overnight. It happens in the storybooks, but in real life, character development takes some time. And even though this guy had changed so much, and was no longer with the militia, and uh, was no longer beating his wife, he continued to be a very greedy person, to be a person who was focused mostly on the things of the world. And it took him a long time uh, before he began to develop uh, what we call the fruits of the spirits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Little things like honesty, were tough for him. And so we were told, hey, this guy did become a Christian, but you know, you don't want to hire him. Well, our guys did hire him. And he worked for a couple of our doctors as a driver for a while. And they they really spent a lot of time with him. And while he was dishonest, and he did try to steal money once in a while, they stayed on him. They said, no, this is not the way we behave. This is not the way we do. And then they began to look at his relationship with his wife. And and while he realized that it wasn't right to necessarily beat her, he didn't know what was right. How should a husband and a wife relate to each other now that they're followers of Jesus? And so the doctors began to study marriage relations and began to teach Balin and his wife how to love each other better and how to be followers of Jesus in this, in this uh, relationship of marriage and how to parent their children 
in a Christian, in a godly way. And they began to change more and more. The little church that they went to, which was the first church that we had started here, they began to look to Balin and to say, wow, this guy is a mature believer. He can teach the word well. We'd like him to be our pastor. But the two leaders in the church, women, because all the people in the church were women at the time, Balin was one of the first men to come to the church. And they thought, well, it would be good to call a man as our pastor. But when they found out that he had at one time had a second wife and that the and that their uh, oldest child that they had was actually uh, a child from her first marriage and their second child was a child from his second wife and now their other children were uh, their own children. Uh, when they found out that he had been a member of the militia and had done all kinds of terrible things, they said, oh, we don't want a guy like this to lead our church. And they wouldn't call him his pastor. But it was very interesting that he continued to teach and that while later on those women fell away and stopped going to that church, he continued on and is still the, I would call him the pastor of that church today. But only I call him that. He's still just known as a leader in the church. Nobody ever gave him the official title of pastor, even though in terms of spiritual gifts, he's one of the best pastors in this country. So here he is, a man who was violent and angry and had really lost his personhood coming back to Jesus. And through the godly help of the Christian community, through brothers and sisters in Christ, who pointed him in the right direction. Now today, he and his wife give seminars on how to be a godly husband and wife, on how to raise godly children, and their children are amazing. And so prodigals do come home, and they are received with open arms by Almighty God, who is that kind of father. There's another guy who works on our teams. Uh, I'll call him Pippin, as he works on the well team with uh, Sam down south. Uh, Pippin was an interesting guy. He's a, he's a little bitty guy. He came to us and uh, wanted a job, and, and, and he was a hard worker. And um, that team, that well digging team, drives pipe down in the ground with a sledgehammer some 40 or 50 feet and puts... Uh, uh, suction pump wells on, uh, hand pump wells on uh, on those uh, wells down in the south of the country where it's so dry and people don't have clean drinking water. And uh, so this team works really hard in a place where it's really hot down in the south of the country. So how did this guy who works really hard and always has a beautiful smile on his face and is is a beautiful husband and a father, how did he come to be? And I asked him one day, I was, I was down in the village with him, we were sitting around, and I said, tell me, how, you, how did you come to faith in Christ? And I was a little bit surprised at his answer. With a big smile on his face, he told me, yeah, I used to be a really bad person. I did drugs, and I ran around with some really bad guys, and they really wronged me, and they betrayed me one day. And I didn't really believe there was a God, but I decided that if there was a God, I was going to pray to him and I was going to ask him to help me kill those guys who had betrayed me. 
And so I prayed to God, God, help me kill those guys. If you're real, you'll help me kill those guys who betrayed me. Well, it kind of goes without saying that God didn't help him kill those guys. And so he became really depressed, and he felt that his life was not worth living, and he was going to kill himself. But before he did, he'd heard that his cousin had changed, that his cousin wasn't a Muslim anymore, and that he talked about Jesus. And so he thought, well, before I kill myself, I guess I'll go see my cousin and see what's going on there. He went, and coincidentally, Sam was visiting his cousin right at that time. And they sat down and they talked about Jesus and the kind of God God really is, the welcoming, loving Father. And so Pippin accepted Christ as his Savior. And the change on his face and in his life is so radical. It's unbelievable. Prodigals do come home. And when they come home, they're welcomed by a beautiful, loving Heavenly Father who can't wait to put a robe on his back and shoes on his feet and a ring for his hands. Now, I'm not talking about wealth and prosperity. No, those are the things of the world. Those are the things they've left. No, I'm talking about things of eternal value. Things like personhood and character. But you know what? I'm not really like the prodigal at all. You see, I'm the oldest son. One of four. I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. And I was raised up in a Christian home. I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. I was baptized by an IMB missionary in Okinawa, Japan. And... I had all the advantages of a Southern Baptist upbringing. I was very self-righteous as a young man, but the church was there and friends were there to help me become a humbler, a better person. I went to a Southern Baptist college and then to a Southern Baptist seminary. Then I became a Southern Baptist pastor. Yeah, that's pretty Southern Baptist. That's pretty white South. Huh? And, uh, And with all those advantages, I really can tell you that I was the older brother. Look at the older brother here in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. No, for many of us listening to this podcast, even right now, you know that a lot of you are not the younger son who's seeking his satisfaction in the world, though we do do that sometimes. No, too many of us, are the older son. 
We've always been faithful. We've always been good. Look at this older brother. In his heart, he's not his father's son anymore. He's left just as much as the younger son left. He doesn't feel that his father is a loving father who gives him everything. He feels like a hired servant. Well, that's what the younger son wanted to be, was a hired servant. And yet that's the way the older son feels here. He feels that he deserves more. He's not grateful for what he has at all. In fact, he sounds a little bit jealous of the younger brother who was able to, at least for a short time, enjoy himself in the world. Too often that's where I am. I have been the older son. By birth and by right, by opportunity that I've had. But you know, the older son, we don't even know if he goes into the banquet at the end. Jesus finishes the story and we don't know, does the older son go into the banquet or not? He's invited. Is he going to come? We don't know. All we know is he's anger and he's bitter and he's frustrated and he doesn't like what's happening here. He's, he's mad that the younger son gets this grace when he himself feels so far outside of the grace of his father. Have I ever felt like that? Oh, friends, too often. You know, because here I am. I've come all this way, haven't I? I've left my home, my family, my nation that I love to come far, far away to Gonder. When I got here, I, I came with two beautiful girls, uh, ages five and three, they were. And we raised them here in a place that was difficult and dangerous. Surely, I deserve a fatted calf now and again. Surely, I deserve some uh, consideration here after all the sacrifices I've made. And the ingratitude of what God has given me creeps in very quickly, doesn't it? Ingratitude is the key to understanding the older son. And so often we are ungrateful for all that God does for us. Gratitude is, of course, the antidote for that. Being thankful recognizing how much God has done for us, how many times we are encouraged to count our blessings. And yet, from time to time, we fail to do that. A few years ago, an event happened that really changed the way I think about God, the way I think about people, the way I think about myself. My oldest daughter went away to college, and she had a pretty difficult time. It was hard for her, having lived up overseas all of her life, and having Asperger's and being a, uh, a socially awkward person to go back to the West and go to college. This was tough for her. She went from one college and then went to another college, and she went up to Chicago, of all places. And we didn't know anybody in Chicago, but she knew a guy up there who had been uh, a missionary kid here, and so they were friends, and so she wanted to go up there to be with him. Maybe they were dating, maybe they weren't. That wasn't very clear. Uh, their relationship was not clear yet. But when she got there, what did become clear is what she became very depressed. And she dropped out of school. And things began to go very, very wrong. We, we went back on, on home leave. We saw her. We said, hey, how can we help you? And the answer came back, well, you can't really help me much. 
Okay, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go back to Chicago. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to, you know, have my apartment and, and we'll just see what happens. That didn't sound like a great plan to us, but we decided that we were servants of the king, that God was going to take care of us, and that he'd called us to go back to Gondor. And so we went back to Gondor. And as soon as we got back, my daughter lost her apartment. She was moving from one apartment to the other when the other the people she had misunderstood, no surprise there, uh, and she couldn't move in for another two weeks. And there was nobody to help her. The young man had all who she had gone up to join had left and gone to California. And so now she was there on her own. And we're Southern Baptists. It means we don't know anybody up in Chicago. And we called around and we tried to find somebody who could help. And nobody would help. There was nobody to help. And so my daughter emptied out her apartment. She abandoned her large dresser in the, in the stairwell. We had bought her a bed that had wheels on it. And so she put everything she owned on her bed and pushed it down the street to a storage unit and put it there. And my daughter was homeless in Chicago, but just for a day. Of course, this was a really difficult time for my wife and I, and we were really distraught. And the older brother in me was shaking his fist at God and saying, don't I deserve more from you than this? Can't somebody do something with that kid? Was my continual cry. Well, we were able to get train tickets and she was able to get down to her uncle's. She spent two weeks there, went back to Chicago, then got into her apartment where she was still depressed and miserable and jobless. A few months later, I was able to visit, and God really showed his faithfulness. We were able to get her appointment with the doctor. She was able to get on antidepressant medicine. She was able to get a job. Her boyfriend came back to Chicago, and they continued their relationship, where two years ago they got married, and last October, my first granddaughter was born. So you can see that God is, in fact, faithful. He is the Heavenly Father who takes care of his children. And the elder brother is always unjustified in being ungrateful for all the wonderful things our Heavenly Father does do for us. But I didn't tell you this story so that you could feel sorry for me or even so that I could demonstrate for you what it would look like to be the older brother as good as an example as I am in that. No, that story impacted me in a way that surprised me in the end. God spoke to me very powerfully in that story because as I was crying out, won't somebody do something with that kid? It came to me that God is, in fact, our Heavenly Father. And as he looks down on this planet with seven billion people, he sees the refugees coming out of war-torn areas. He sees the homeless, the poor, the hopeless, and the helpless. He sees the cripples. He sees those in prison. He sees those who are sick. He sees all the misery and the suffering and the abuse in this world. And I can hear his voice now crying out with mine, won't somebody do something with that kid? What wouldn't I have given? for somebody to help 
my daughter on that day when she was lost without her apartment and on the streets in Chicago. And what wouldn't God do for the person who will reach out to his children who are helpless and hopeless and in such terrible need around the world? You and I look on these people with fear. Fear of what they might do in their desperation and fear that we're completely inadequate to do anything to help them. But our Heavenly Father is calling to you and me. He's calling to the younger brother. He's calling to the older brother. Won't you grow up? Isn't it time for children to grow up and become like their parents? Isn't it time for the younger son and the older son to grow up and become like the father? The father who's always inviting in. This to me is the most true picture of God and it's the picture that Jesus presents to us. He is standing there waiting for his children to come home and he's got a banquet prepared and he's calling, 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 won't you come in? And if we will be like our father, as we are called to be, then we also will be inviting people in. We will be reaching out and inviting in. Not with judgment and anger and bitterness, but with love and a compassion that recognizes that these are the Father's children and we had better treat them with respect and love and grace, even as I would expect anybody to treat my children. So, let me ask you, will you grow up and be like the Father? This is a challenge for me personally. I am called now. I am set. I know what it is that I must be in order to be faithful to my Lord Jesus Christ, who has told me what the Father is really like and has told me I must grow up and be like him. So let's grow up and become like our Father, loving, compassionate, and inviting the lost and the suffering in to a very real banquet that he is preparing. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.